everybody and you're back you you keep showing up and that's very much appreciated to the road to infinity uh of course this is the podcast where we go over all the avengers movies in order of how they released because that's how you're supposed to watch them obviously they wouldn't have released that way if you weren't um but this is the road to infinity war challenge today we finally get to the culmination of phase one with avengers uh so this is episode five and this will be titled doesn't you you give the title Glenn you've got the title oh I got the title yeah um it uh an ant has no quarrel with a boot yes um <laughs> cool that's what this one will be titled of course that was the voice of Glenn my name is Spencer uh we're going to go ahead and just jump into this thing because Avengers has a lot to cover uh, of course, it's a culmination of everything that's been built. They've had a guiding light in Kevin Feige the whole time. Uh, Avengers came out in 2012, four years after the release of Iron Man 1. Uh, we had Iron Man 1 in uh, 2008. We had uh, Incredible Hulk in 2008. Then we had 2010 with Iron Man 2. And then 2011 with Thor and Cap, uh, first Avenger. And then... Here we are, 2012 Avengers. Uh, this movie had a budget of 20, 220 million. It grossed 1.5 billion dollars. What? Uh, it had several writers uh, attached, and over time, and and eventually, it went down to just Joss Whedon, uh, who became the writer and the director. Uh, funny story about that. Uh, before we really try to set the tone of what was going on, just behind the scenes stuff. Zach Penn, who wrote The Incredible Hulk. He actually wrote the first draft, and it was the draft it looked like they were going to go with. They consulted Joss Whedon, um, and he told Kevin Feige that draft was so bad they needed to forget that it ever existed. And then he wrote a five-page layout of his version, and they immediately started writing up a contract for him to write and direct. Wow. How bad is that to be? To, it's so bad, don't even. you just need to forget it ever existed. Uh, and really, that's what Marvel wishes you would think of Incredible Hulk. Just pretend it didn't exist. Hulk had a fight in Harlem, and that's it. Um, but anyway, uh, John Favreau, uh, he was attached to Direct Avengers. He actually chose, um, yeah, yeah, you know, he chose a different route. He chose not to, which I don't really believe that. I believe they always wanted him to be an executive producer, but I, I believe they wanted Louis for uh, Louis Letter and uh, Kenneth Branagh and uh, Kevin, uh, John Favreau. I believe they wanted all of them. Uh, I hope they wouldn't want Joe Johnston, but uh, I'm not going to go on that rant today. Uh, I believe they wanted them all to be executive producers to at least you know be able to have their voice and their character. But it's kind of good that they didn't because then that would have been a lot of different people pulling different ways. Uh, my, a really big thing I have um, that that really may have affected things is the power pull that Robert Downey Jr. had because he got either fifty or a hundred million dollars for this movie. I think yeah, it's fifty. A crap ton. I believe it was 50 for this movie. Uh, and then you had someone like uh, Captain America got paid like 500000 
So a big discrepancy in the pay for these actors. So Robert and Jr., obviously, that much money, he had a lot of power. John Favreau had a lot of power being the guy that really kicked all of this off. And he actually didn't like the Thor stuff. He didn't think that mystical stuff would work with the science-based universe that Iron Man had built. And I was like, first off, I mean, Marvel's always been kind of science-y, but, I mean, the mysticism is hidden in science uh yeah. and that's kind of how they built it but he and that that kind of speaks for the future of what we'd get to, into later with iron man and stuff is is the the fact that they really really felt like they just wanted to keep iron man away from that stuff but here it had to clash and even kevin feige came to the defense and said you know what uh thor tried to explain it in his movie to where people would understand that his mysticism is really just science we don't understand yet so it does all translate really well but i mean you're throwing a god or a demigod in there with a man that's been frozen since the 40s uh, with the world's smartest um engineer and uh you're throwing in the world's uh smartest biological uh radiation scientist who turns into a big green monster uh you're throwing them together to fight with a russian spy who has no russian accent and an archer a man who literally chooses the shittiest weapon to uh as his weapon of choice it's a really weird group Really yeah, weird but group. you know, I, with Hawkeye, I would love to have his quiver because you know, in his fight scenes, he's got magical arrows. I don't know where they come from. You know that thing can't hold more than what twenty, twenty-five arrows, and he doesn't run out. I mean, he's it's, it's like oh, he ran out buddy. twice during Avengers. He runs well, out plenty. That's his problem. Yeah, but... Is he runs out. <laughs> If he can't collect, if he's sniping, he runs out. Like when he was in that building at the end and he's sniping, he was running out and he was like, I got one left. Let me re, but the, the quiver would change it to whatever type he'd need. So he changed it to a grappling, um, arrow and he shot it and then swung into a building. But yeah, like you'd see him on the battlefield. I think he had as much time shooting the arrows as he did collecting them. I mean, he was, it was literally like playing Assassin's Creed. You get six yeah. of these arrows. You shoot them, go to each dead body, collect them, then go back to what you're doing. <laughs> I, th- I think I would have loved to have seen more of that, just him running by people, picking up arrows, and sticking them back in that damn quiver. Yeah. <laughs> um, But, I mean, and, and really, uh, with all these egos at play, there was only one ego that didn't make the cut, and that was Ed Norton. Uh, he was replaced as the Hulk. Now, there are two sides to the story. There's no way to know the truth. And I don't know any of these parties personally, so I'm not going to really take a side, but I'll tell exactly what was said on both sides. Marvel said it was not a monetary decision, but instead a collaborative problem. And they needed all actors to be able to work and compromise in an ensemble. And then the agent for Ed Norton said that that was misleading info, meant to slander him or paint him in a negative light. And... Actually, Ed Norton himself stated that he declined because he didn't want to be tied to one character. Which, to be fair, he has never been a man to do a character multiple times. But on the flip side of that, why take the role of the Hulk in the first place? You knew it'd be a franchise. A franchise within a franchise. Yeah. So, that's the Ed Norton beef, and that's really the only big problem they had. Uh, and and for, this, for, for this being so many people in the movie and so much you know different acting abilities and everything else um to have that be the only issue is really amazing i mean it makes me think about the ocean movies with uh, clooney and brad pitt um yeah. 
there was no uh, no hatred or anger among the cast of those three movies. I mean, Clooney talked these guys into taking a pay cut to make those films. Yeah. And they agreed to it because they liked working together. Well, for this being the only issue, and you got some mega power actors in this movie yeah. with Samuel Jackson and RDJ. So, you know, I got to give it to them. They, they pulled it together. I mean, just take a look at their competition. You know what's how- really ironic about the whole situation, though, is that Louis Letter, he wanted Mark Ruffalo first. That was his top pick for Bruce Banner in The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. And then they went over his head and they cast Edward Norton. And then Edward Norton wound up turning them down, ultimately, for the big project, Avengers. And I guess with the help of Louis Letter, uh, Joss Whedon wound up getting Mark Ruffalo for the role. Uh, so that is... We could have had Mark Ruffalo the whole time. And yeah, we could have. Watching Mark Ruffalo in Avengers, um, as much as I like Ed Norton, his 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 presence and what he's always done, and, and his version of of Incredible Hulk, I, I really like the skittish nature that Mark Ruffalo brought to the Hulk. Yeah, I do too. And, you know, on the flip side of that coin, to watch the relationship between Hulk and Thor and Banner and Thor, I really don't think, in my personal opinion, I don't think Norton could have connected with Hemsworth on that level and we would have got that camaraderie between the two. Yeah, and uh, the the nerdy nature that comes with him. Like, he's so strong-willed, even in his performance in Incredible Hulk, that it would have felt like there was a mixture of Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, Tony Stark, and Chris Evans' Captain America, when really Mark Ruffalo's Hulk, or his Bruce Banner, mind you, his Bruce Banner is really his own character. Whereas uh, Ed Norton's Bruce Banner was a combo of Cap and Iron Man, like yeah. the the intelligent nature of Iron Man and the strong will of Cap. Uh, so that was great, and they announced Ruffalo. I think it was the 2010 Comic Con. Yeah, uh, and that was that was it was very, had very much mixed emotions. Which I am in the camp of. I don't want anyone having to be replaced. I get Don Cheadle replacing Terrence Howard, but that was a huge acting upgrade. I don't think Mark Ruffalo is that much better or better at all of an actor of Ed Norton. It was an unfortunate circumstance, and I'm happy with Ruffalo now. I would have been happy if Ed Norton had stayed. I've been happy either way. I think we traded out a great actor for a great actor. Uh, just unfortunate that we had to do that. Yep. Um, and then uh, other acting things came up like as soon as Josh Whedon was brought into this project you thought oh well Nathan Fillion or David Briones will be Hawkeye and Eliza Dushku maybe Scarlett Johansson or maybe uh, Black Widow which Scarlett Johansson got it after uh, what's her name dropped out but um, you know even Eliza Dushku made a strong case to be Black Widow and we just thought it'd be the Whedonverse extended into the Marvelverse and he really kept all of his people away Except for Alexis Denisoff, who played the right hand to to Thanos, who he was behind so much makeup and with a voice changer that you really didn't know it was him. Yeah, exactly. And his character's name was The Other. And it's creepy to watch him because knowing him like we know him from Buffy and Angel, yeah. and to see him do this, it it is a complete 180 from Wesley. <laughs> Pretty damn cool range because he's in How I Met Your Mother as a complete doofus, idiot, funny guy. Like Anchorman, he basically his character is Anchorman. 
Uh, he even is an anchor man on that show. Uh, and then you watch him in Buffy, and he is an uptight kind of nerdy idiot. And then you watch him in Angel, and he's like he goes from uptight idiot to kind of badass hero uh, by the end of Angel. And he gets I mean, he, this is all he needed this villainous horror type role, and he did it. Um, yep. Which also he had two thumbs, which implies that he was a Chitari. Mm-hmm. Like the other was a Chitari, even though the rest of the Chitari are kind of presented as an ant race, like they have a queen, and once that queen dies, they except a very more like biological immediate response kind of ant. Like once the queen dies, they all die. So yeah. it's weird that he was still alive. They imply that he was Chitari, but the way they presented all the other Chitari was weird. So maybe he just maybe there were clones from some factory. Maybe this is the Marvel Star Wars mix up here. I don't know. Maybe, but, or he's a cross between Chitauri and, you know, some other alien race. And then we were thinking, which woman from the Whedonverse will be Maria Hill? And then it turned out Austin Hannigan, Willow from Buffy, got into Whedon's ear and suggested him to, to cast Colby Smothers, Smolders of um, uh, How I Met Your Mother How fame. I Met Your Mother? And uh, she to be Maria Hill. And Josh Whedon had stated in the past that the best actors are good comedy actors because if they can be good at timing and delivery in comedy, then they can pretty much do anything. Um, that's how he cast what's-his-name as the main villain in Serenity, um, who went on to be a good guy slash villain in Doctor Strange. I forget. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, it's, it's very much a complicated name when you read it. I'm not going to say it. But... Uh, he he said that he he favored comedic actors. So he, you know, Colby Smolders is Marie Hill, and she does great. I like her. Um, I like her a lot. Uh, and then he had p- other people in his ear. Robert Downey Jr. insisted that Pepper Potts be written into the movie, even though she wasn't supposed to be. We wanted to isolate the heroes as much as possible, uh, except for Marvel gave him three points. He said um, that they said Loki had to be the main villain. We had to have a big uh, superhero fight in the middle and the superheroes have to team up by the end of it and all fight the alien race. And so Loki was already going to be in this movie carrying over Thor stuff, but Robert Downey Jr. got Pepper Potts added in there and you know what? I like the inclusion. I, I don't need them all completely isolated. I didn't need them to add War Machine in this one, but I did need them to, to show them in their lives before they're brought together. I liked that. Yeah, I did too, especially with Pepper, because it gives that, you know, um, that feeling of, of dread that he may, and we see that, at, you know, during the alien fight when Tony uh, gets the missile up there and, and he tries to call Pepper and the call dies. And he's like, you know, you can see the look on his face like, oh, crap, I'm never going to talk to her again. Oh, oh and God, it, yeah. it made him human. So, yeah, that was that was a great moment, and you needed to set up Pepper Potts in the beginning to make that matter to some of those people that didn't have the overlay. Because you look at the box offices from those movies in Phase One, something uh, that DC is not willing to really pull themselves back to, which is, hey, you're gonna not have the best stellar performances ever in this first phase, but you're setting up something better. However, it's their, their fault. They kind of rushed everything together. Like, hey, we're going to do uh, Superman, and then we're going to have the Holy Trinity team up, and then we're going to have the five of them, or six of them team up, and let's see what happens. Uh, they, they, they they rushed it too quickly, so they needed that the, the, the dividends to come back to them, but it just didn't work. Um, but with Marvel's Phase 1, you had some people that saw... You know, Iron Man that didn't see Thor. A lot of people, actually, that did, that saw Iron Man didn't see Incredible Hulk, Captain America. You know, Iron Man was kind of the driving force. Um, 
So it's important to to show, hey, remember this Pepper Potts in case you just saw Cap, or hey, here's flashbacks. Captain America punching this bag. He's really mad at Ice Water, or um, <laughs> you know, kind of explain a little bit of what happened to Thor and what led to Loki being killed. Like, you needed some things to be like they're at the point now where they won't. Like, let you get by with not watching all their movies, which is probably why they make a billion dollars each. But um, back then, they very much needed to fill everybody in. Yeah. Um, and actually, Whedon uh, told Marvel, uh, hey, if Loki's going to be the main villain, what if he's just working for somebody? Like, I really love Thanos. What if he's working for Thanos? And they said, I guess so, sure. Throw Thanos at the end. And here we are. They had no fucking plan. Nope. Uh, sorry, I've said the F word twice. And these have been <laughs> so PG as to this podcast. I'm sorry. I'm just super excited. Uh, there was no there's no plan for Thanos. And then he just kind of threw it out there because that's his favorite Marvel villain. And now they're kind of rolling with it. And it's really worked. It's really been the thing that tied all these movies together is the Infinity Stones. Like, ooh. Like, it's, it's the most speculation for any of these movies. With DC, people are speculating, oh, man, will this be the... The, the movie that shuts DC movies down. And then with Marvel, it's like, which Infinity Stone are, are we going to see in this movie and where is it going to be? You know, it's kind of kind of cool, kind of cool that uh, that this all came by accident by just Josh Whedon loving Thanos and it's really worked out for them. And Why you know, is... this is this is really one of the first times that you see, you get a glimpse into the way that Marvel's thinking about things. Um, as a comic book fan, I've known about Thanos for a long time. But as uh, someone who does who didn't read the comics, they're looking at this and like, who is this giant purple dude? Yeah, and exactly. that was me. Why, why is this massive alien smiling at the camera? And now he's coming to Earth to uh, kick ass and chew bubble gum, and he's all out of bubble gum. What's going to happen? And the Marvel has taken characters that are just obscure, odd. Uh, pillars in their uh, plethora of heroes and villains and they're putting them into this mainstream and so far it has been amazing I there has yet to be a character that they've introduced in one of these movies that I've been like okay well that was dumb they shouldn't have went there um uh, now I've got a complaint against the villains not being used enough but for them to take obscure an obscure team like Guardians of the Galaxy, which the way that they threw them together and and they became a team and you know just a short span of time throughout the first movie, it yeah. worked for them. We didn't need to know backstory on everybody. True, but Thanos is still tied to them. Yeah. And so they, it's yeah, it, yeah. It's just it's, it's Marvel has is hitting on all cylinders with these with these heroes and villains as they're putting into this thing, and I'm honestly surprised that you know. It, 10, 20 years ago, if somebody would have said, oh, Thanos is going to be on the screen, people would have been like, uh, really? Who's Thanos? And comic boy fans and girls all over the world would be just giddy as all get out. But nobody would know what was going on. We, you know, Back then, we didn't have Google and, and all this other stuff where we could do the research and look up these things and really dive into it. So for Marvel to be able to pull off what they're pulling now and still be able to keep things hidden from us yeah. is epic. It's pretty great. Um, uh, just a few funny things I thought uh, from the making of as we're getting through this, almost getting to our top three scenes. Um, 
Robert Downey Jr., he uh, apparently kept food hidden all over the lab set, and nobody could find where it was all hidden, so they just let him continue doing it. So whenever you see him eating in the movie, like those blueberries, uh, it was just him. Like He had a lot of ad-libbing in this movie, and that was just one of his many ad-libs. And so <laughs> it was just it was great. It was really awesome. Uh, he's really great with adding stuff. Especially, I, I don't know about overall, but at least with his Tony Stark character, he's great with ad-libbing in this universe. Oh. Oh yeah, and with these well, he, directors, he ad libbed the line that "Oh, that man's playing Galaga." Yeah, well, he did. when he said that, they went in and digitally put in Galaga on that guy's computer screen. They you know, did two or three and, frames, and it was funny as hell. I'm not sure if he just said that that game on purpose, or if he meant to foreshadow to the alien invasion where they're all flying down towards the city, like fuck, like Galaga. So, you know, watching that, I wondered that too. I'm like, okay, is Robert Downey Jr. really that? that sly that he's just going to say Galaga and slide it on in there. I think uh, so. I think he would have said Pac-Man. I think that's the easiest or Donkey Kong or something that was, you know, easier to kind of just everyone knows what that is. Galaga, it's like, you know, it's it's the fourth tier. It's like Tetris, Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, and then probably Galaga. Well, um, when they filmed the scene with him flying with the missile, if you watch, the way that the ships are flying at him, they are yeah. flying in the same pattern as the, uh, the ships in Galaga. <laughs> That's pretty great, which that was that could have been CG like render like changed later to like hey let's let's make this Galaga payoff work. Yeah. Um. Uh. Also, um. There's a line where Bruce Banner s- says about Loki, "You can smell the crazy on him." Um. Joss Whedon originally wrote a scene where Loki was surrounding the Hulk in Stark Tower before uh, Hulk did his puny god smash, and um, Loki like did the replicating. Uh, thing where he circled him with uh, like 20 versions of himself and the Hulk would sniff him out and grab the real Loki. Oh, That, that would have been, been awesome. a nice payoff scene, but uh, ultimately that was cut for, um, I guess it was um, pacing. It was cut for pacing. That's what it was. Um, there's a couple of neat little things um, that I just noticed uh, as a as a as a fan of all of Whedon's work, um, there was a Whedon Buffy seven season kind of uh, homage with the the Hellmouth and how it imploded Sunnydale. The shield base in the beginning kind of imploded and became a crater. That was neat. I'm not sure if it was intentional. Uh, every, a lot of Buffy fans at least know the story of Xander and his audition for Xander. and uh, Or maybe he was auditioning to be Angel. I can't remember. But uh, once it got to the Xander auditions, he said, does anyone want shawarma? Just kind of making stuff up. And that was used by Robert Downey Jr., which Robert Downey Jr. apparently ad-libbed it, but I'm not sure if he got that from a story Joss may have told him. I'm not sure. Or just, no, wait, no, Joss, he ad-libbed it, but Joss gave him several different lines to try. That's what it was. Ah. And the Swarm of the One must have stuck with the Whedon, because it was like a 20-year difference into when he may have, 15-year, from when he heard that line from uh, Nick Brendan. Um... The Black Widow scene, the fight scene, was very much a Buffy scene, um, and I noticed that. And I'm like, oh, this is this is a Whedon female fight scene. This is this is great. I'm looking forward to Batgirl because of this. Like, oh I yeah. Watching, I was like, oh, I can't wait for Batgirl. Um, and then uh, Loki showed up just like the Terminator, uh, except for he had clothes on. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
luckily. Maybe he was naked. He was just mimicking clothes on him. Uh, the gamma radiation comment that uh, the Dr. Selvig told Nick Fury, um, and then Nick Fury told him, oh no, that can be very harmful. Because it says just a little bit of gamma radiation, it won't hurt you. Um, yeah. The Tesseract in the beginning was held in a giant arc reactor. That was neat. Um, I had looked up a couple of things about the movie. Um, oh yeah. Also, uh, when the, at the end of the movie, when the planes drop the bomb and it said there's two minutes and 30 seconds, it's exactly film time, two minutes and 30 seconds between then and when the bomb actually explodes. That's very good. It's very important because it's really annoying when I have a time limit and it's like, Oh, it's it's different because it's movie time. No, it's not movie time. It's a watch. It's the same for all of us. Um, and uh, there was one thing I read that I just want to throw out there. It's my last little reference piece or making of behind the scene thing. Uh, Clark Gregg did an interview, and he said that the, they they all the actors were not in the in the uh, in town at the same time a lot, and. One time they were guaranteed to all be in town at the same time. Chris Evans sent a huge text message to all of them, and it just said one word, assemble. And uh, Clark Gray said that was his favorite text message that he's ever received in his life. That is awesome. So if he has kids, I'm sure they don't feel great about that. (laughs) Do you have any uh, more behind the scenes or just little things you've noticed throughout the movie? Um. Uh, you know, the couple little Easter eggs that I noticed, um, we did get to see Odin's crows Yep. in this yep, movie. Yep, yep. Um, and I think really the, well, you know what? I'm going to leave that to tie into the, the rest of the MCU because I, yes, to me, that MCU was very awesome. Later. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, I think I thought it was very cool how they added, um, uh, uh, Odin's crows into it. And it, unless you're a, um, into Norse mythology or you're a Thor fan, you may not would may not have gotten that, but it was real cool. Cause it's like Odin is still keeping an eye on Thor and Loki by sending the crows. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was a really good nod. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. This moron is giving me everything. I don't give everything. And this is the part of the show where we go to our top three favorite scenes of the movie. And Avengers has a lot of cool scenes. Um, actually, some of these fight scenes go on and on to where you really have to like, pick a moment in the fight scene. So this may get very specific or it may get very broad. But Glenn, what are your top three favorite scenes from Avengers? Oh, wow. <laughs> there was a lot going on. Uh, my third uh, favorite scene... It has to be uh, Black Widow getting Loki to to talk to her. Oh um, yeah, on board the uh, helicarrier. That scene was just, um, you know, here it is. She comes in and Loki, just right out of the gate, um, is you know. So you're here to make me talk, and she's like, no. And he goes into the classic villain soliloquy of just divulging his whole plan. And he, he, you know, tearing into her, oh, yes, Barton told me everything, all your dirty little secrets. You can't wash that much red out of your leisure. And as she starts to, quote, unquote, cry, he makes one slip up. And everybody knows Loki likes to talk, whether it's, you know, in the, in the extended universe, uh, in the comics, Loki loves to run his mouth. And that's yep. when it happens. And as soon as she turns around and looks at him, he's got that look of, ah, shit, <laughs> I done yeah, did it again. 
he was he was giving her this this uh, speech about how there's red in her ledger because she talked about it and he said there's so much red and she started naming off specific people that she's killed and um, then uh, she uh, she says you're a monster and he's like no you brought the monster on board with you she turns <laughs> and it's like thank you <laughs> yeah thanks so your play is Banner the Hulk okay. And she walks away. But at, unfortunately, at the same time, uh, Hawkeye was showing up. He's been taken over. Damn, he got took over in the first scene of the movie. Uh, became a, a Loki slave, which he got his payback in the se- sequel. But um, he uh, he was taken down the helicarrier right then and there. So didn't work out for her too much, finding out the play. Uh, what was your second favorite scene? My second one is the return of Banner. Um, you know, the helicarrier, he gets... <laughs> ejected <laughs> poor Harry Dean Stanton had to see, see his naked ass falling through the sky and, and you know all of a sudden you hear this this busted ass motorcycle and you, Tony called it he knew that that, that Banner was going to be there and you know Cap showed a little bit of concern he's like you know can you handle this and then he turns and looks at you know Black Widow and says you want to know my secret? I'm always angry. Yeah. And without hesitation, boom. It's like for, for that minute, he and the Hulk worked hand in hand. It was one person. It wasn't two separate entities. Yeah, and they was, had this understanding. It was very cool. It was very uh, – I, I like that Harry Dean Stanton said, are you an alien? Because it's like <laughs> obviously your biggest success is you, you were an alien or alien. Uh, so that was neat. And uh, no one will ever, no one will ever forget the line, uh, uh, Mr. Banner. I'm gonna need you to get angry. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's my secret. I'm always angry. Boom! And he punches that giant flying snake and just levels it. It was great. Such a such a great scene. My number one favorite scene: Hulk versus Loki. Oh. I love it. <laughs> it I love hilarious. it. I love it. I mean, he, I mean, the Hulk's in there and they're starting this fight and Loki just stop it stop it do you know who I am I'm a god and Hulk just grabs him by the leg and beats the shit out of him I mean I have the first time I saw that I came out of my chair in the theater and went yes and then he walks away and you hear puny god yes Hulk didn't say puny human he says, "Puny God." It, you know, it might not have been the exact quote that he does from the bi- uh, from the from the books or from the TV show, but here it is. We've got the Hulk saying, "Puny something," and yeah. it was glorious. Oh, I loved it. I loved that scene. I am so glad as well that we chose different scenes and that neither one of us chose a broad fight scene. As if it was been like, oh, I loved the attack on New York. It's like everyone does. That's the last third of the movie. <laughs> Of course we do. Um, my three favorite scenes. Uh, number three is the Avengers Assemble Circle. That's what I call it. Yes. Um, it's where that circle shot where they all, like it spins around all of them and you get Black Widow loading her gun and you see the electrical things on her wrist and uh, Hawkeye's getting his, his bow and arrow together like Robin Hood or like a good version of Green Arrow. Uh, then you've got, you know, Hulk screaming and, and Cap and Iron Man and Thor and it's just so cool. And if they did that with the uh, with the Avengers in, in Infinity War... It's good. It's really funny because in my mind, I think of in gym class when they would get this giant flag or this giant 
sheet and they'd make everyone hold it on every edge. And I just feel like there should be this Marvel flag that all of the actors that play all the superheroes are holding them. Because that's the only way you're going to get them realistically into one shot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was great. Uh, and then number my two, second favorite scene is actually Cap saving Germany again uh, when Loki's at that ball. And he comes out and he was like, isn't this better? Isn't this what your natural state is to be ruled? And uh, then he goes into his little speech and um, this um, old, you can kind of tell he's probably old Jewish. He's like, I'm never going to kneel for anyone again. And Loki's about to kill him, it seems like. And Cap shows up and they have their fight. And looks like maybe Loki gets an upper hand on him. But then Iron Man shows up and he gives up. Uh, and Iron Man actually shows up playing shoot to thrill. Uh, <laughs> so it's like AC, Iron Man 2's, yeah, ACDC, so it's like Iron Man soundtrack from, uh, Iron Man 2 comes into Avengers, and it's like, okay, that's great, because your whole soundtrack for, for Iron Man 2 is just ACDC, so this is fun. Um, and my favorite scene in the movie was actually Black Widow's entrance scene where she was being tortured but really yes. she was getting all the information she needed and casually nonchalantly Coulson calls tells him exactly where he's at and what he'll do to him if he doesn't hand the phone over to Black Widow she talks to him he tells her she keeps telling Coulson he's giving me everything I wanted and the guy's like I'm not I ain't no. giving you shit <laughs> yeah. and she's like come on yes you are she gives him that smirk and that look and uh, it was very Buffy it was very much a damn Buffy scene uh, Every everything down to the hair flip counts as a headbutt um, but uh, it was it was neat because I mean you saw how important Hawkeye was to her the minute he said Hawkeye's been compromised and she's like alright fuck this I'm out of here and uh, she, she uh, starts leaving and I, I love that scene I can't wait for a Black Widow movie that's the movie I want to see more than anything right now more than I want to see a Guardians 3 more than I want to see Ant-Man 2 I want to see a finally a Black Widow solo movie so that was my th- first total favorite scene in that movie full of great scenes but that was my favorite that was a that was a really really awesome scene, Mr. Stark, Captain. And here is the sometimes very long rant driven, sometimes very short one statement driven segment of the show called "Things We Would Have Done Differently." Um, mine is one line, so I'm gonna go ahead and just go first, get that <laughs> out of the way. I would have done one thing differently to set up an overall bigger universe that has already existed. I would have had Nick Fury say one line somewhere in the movie when he was talking to the Avengers, saying, "You're not the only individuals that that can be a part of this team. You're just the only ones that we thought would." And that's it. Just to lead to, yeah, there was an Ant Man before. I know they didn't know what they were going to do with these superheroes, but maybe there was an Ant-Man before. Maybe there was an older Black Panther. Maybe there was superheroes that they dealt with a long time ago. But this is this is where we're at. You guys, you're my team right now. So that would that's what I would have done. Glenn, what would you have done differently in Avengers? You know, there... Uh... Anything? I would have liked I would have liked more about the Shatari. Um, I know that's n- not too big of a thing, but I would like to have known a little bit more about the Shatari. I really would have liked more of Hawkeye. I know we get more of Hawkeye in Avengers Two. 
Yeah, but at and, the time we didn't know that. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And what we did get of Hawkeye uh, for a short little snippet was in Thor. So this is the second time we see him, and I would have liked to, you know, him and uh, Black Widow were together on many missions. Uh, you know, they make the comment about Budapest. Oh, you, you and I remember Budapest very differently. Okay, give me something a little bit more about Hawkeye. Not a whole lot, just a little bit more. And those are the only two things really that I had a, I don't want to say a problem with, but something I would have liked to see a little bit more. And I know some stuff had to get cut for timing and whatever, but those two little things right there, knowing now of what we, you know, we're going to be able to see later on, right. it makes sense why they didn't divulge too much about Hawkeye. But I mean, yeah, we can, we can't look at this with hindsight because we have to think about in the moment, 2012. Yeah, they kind of screwed Hawkeye on time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even though the runtime of this movie was two hours and 23 minutes, like, uh, could you have made seven minutes more and had something there with Hawkeye? Or I don't, I don't know. Um, it, I, I don't. Even at the time, I really didn't care about the Chitauri. And, and I just thought, well, they're just the army that's fighting for Loki. Like, you don't know anything about the all the Asgardians that die. Uh, even in Thor Ragnarok. Like, Thor Ragnarok is like, most of those people died and they were useless. Like, even the Warriors 3, only one of them got to say anything. <laughs> like, that movie, if anything, like, I, I, with hindsight, that was yeah. the least, that was the littlest atrocious thing they've done with uh killing off uh, a a group like one shot like a one use kind of thing but at the, at the time I was like well what are the Tatari we really don't know anything about them and why do they have two thumbs how does that help how's that level evolution thing <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't really need to know about the thumbs but i i did i would like to know the other and his connection to the Tatari even at the time i was like like what are you dude if you're Tatari, yeah. why are you still alive? He's throwing off interference, radiation. Nothing harmful, low levels of gamma radiation. That can be harmful. And this is the part of the show where we try to connect or find all the connections from this movie to the greater MCU. Um, I have a few I wrote down, and then, Glenn, anything you may have. Um, we'll also get to Stanley's cameo in the end credits scene at the, at the end of this part. But I wrote down Banner being captured by Black Widow would be a precursor uh, to her being the most important thing to him. Um, something that was great, and I love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so this this payoff was great. Coulson's cellist love interest would later be played by Amy Acker on an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode where they kind of had to protect her, but they also couldn't let her know that Coulson was alive. Man, that was a little rough. Um, yeah. There was also uh, something I noticed in here that I'm not sure if it's really a connection, but it's just something I noticed. Uh, Hawkeye, uh, he debuted in Thor. And he also has the most direct connection at, by the end of this movie to Loki, other than Thor himself, because Loki took him as a slave. And Thor is Loki's brother, so he's got number one by default. But he only shares scenes with Thor in the circle and that end of the tower, end scene at the tower. Yeah. I thought that was weird. They were so separated. Um, uh, but also Tony and Bruce's friendship foreshadows their future together. You'll see them at the end of Iron Man 3's in credits and you'll see, um, uh, their, uh, their differences come to a head kind of in Age of Ultron, but they'll also be working together because Bruce always goes to Tony's defense, I guess, because they're like-minded just in the intelligence realm. 
Um, Cap and Iron Man were tense all movie long, and it will pretty much stay that way forever and ever. Um, Selvig from Thor was in this movie, and he was driven insane by the Tatari uh, in the in the Loki pokey stick. Um, Pepper from Iron Man was in this movie, but Cap and Bruce had nobody, so they really felt isolated and alone. Um, and then Phase Two is mentioned all movie long. Fans knowing this is the end of Phase One, so that's kind of cool. That was kind of like an inside joke, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and one last thing, also Agents of Shield related, LMD was referenced by Tony, but not actually. But it was actually used in Agents of Shield, almost like he knew about the technology that had been worked on to be developed, but it never made it to the stage where it'd be useful, and it finally got to that stage in Agents of Shield. So. Um, and that was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 4, best season of a superhero show ever, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Glenn, do you have any more connections to the MCU that I missed? Um, well, of course, you know, Maria Hill. Um, Tony's nicknames. Um, you know, he first, he called Hawkeye Legolos, <laughs> Thor, Point Break, uh, Loki, Reindeer Games. These nicknames are going to pop up in later films, and it's so hilarious on where they pop up. Um, uh, one I thought was really cool was a tie-in to The Incredible Hulk, where um, um, Banner says, you know, uh, I tried to eat a bullet, but the other guy spit it out, yes. which was a reference to the uh, alternate yeah. opening of the movie that they didn't use, Yeah, um, which I'm glad they didn't use it. Um, of course, and then you get to see on the Quinjet, of course, the Hydra weapons and things. And that's when Cap was like, you know what? I really can't trust anybody. I couldn't trust anybody back then. It's like the only person he could chuck, he could trust was Erskine, the man who gave him the serum. Yeah. And he's gone. Um, I think that is about it. I mean, there's there's ties. There are so many ties to the MCU in this movie that it, it really is ridiculous. And if you look into it, and when we get into Phase 2 films, uh, yes. it can I'll be able to go back and reference some of these. Um, uh, there are, they don't say his name, but it's alluded to other heroes that pop up. And after you watch those films, you're thinking, Holy crap. That's that. Could that be who Nick Fury was talking about, about the other hero? Huh? Interesting. Oh, look at that house. That house looks familiar. It pops up in this movie. Oh, Look, it actually existed, and it yeah. all ties together. So there's this. This was Easter egg heavy uh, with stuff tying it to the MCU, and it brought it. Phase one is brought all together in this movie. Yeah, um, definitely. The phase one is kind of the because it's all a lot of origin stories and 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 typical kind of villains and stuff. Uh, phase one is very much a. In hindsight, is it's underwhelming. Comparing it to the other phases, but you also have to have found a found, have to have a foundation. When you build a house, you build the brick foundation on the bottom. It's like you look at it, it's like, well, here's a slab of bricks on the ground, but then the walls and the windows and everything look better and cooler. And then once you get the roof on there and it's all done, it's like, well, this all looks great. But without that foundation, none of it can exist. None of it can look great. And also, if you don't have a good foundation, then it'll all fall apart on you anyway. Uh, this phase one was a solid solid foundation even if it had some weak titles uh in there compared to the rest of the marvel universe 
those titles compared to the rest of superhero movies were great, still are. Um, especially going back and watching them. Because, like, this movie right here, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll get into it and in more of the stuff in the writing, but, oh man, this movie right here gave a great break to what people thought superhero movies should be. Um, but let's go on to the Stan Lee cameo. He played an old man in Central Park, and wasn't he scoffing at the existence of superheroes? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> That, what what just follow those aliens you old senile crazy old man <laughs> your line doesn't even make sense it doesn't like, even make sense superheroes in New York yeah right <laughs> so I, guess, I guess it's funny for Stanley to say that but I don't understand someone needs to put him in a home put him on a leash he doesn't know where he's going at night I don't know um, and then we get the end credit scene that was awesome uh, I didn't know what was exactly going on, but I know a lot of nerds did. No offense, that's just the term. Uh, but they showed Thanos the Mad Titan being told to fight Earth and its heroes would be to court death. And it's like, oh man, Joss really set that bar high for that final villain. Um, so much so that you kind of knew, because you were striking first by almost 10 years, um, with your cinematic universe really coming together, uh, that if Justice League did do Apocalypse and did do Darkseid, um, they were kind of screwed because, well, there's Thanos already that exists, so you better start with your biggest gun or you better just be be prepared to be compared. Yeah. Um, so that's that was that was a neat in credit scene, and of course it it happened with just Joss Whedon saying, "Hey, I like this character," and Marvel saying, "Sure, why not? Sure, sure." They said sure to Thanos, and that's their that's the one thing that's been keeping these seventeen movies together really well. And then swarm after. Now here we are at the end of our podcast with the most confusing section of any podcast ever: the ratings and the rankings for Avengers 2012. Uh, rating being gold, silver, or bronze, because we came to the agreement that we wouldn't rank any Marvel movie below a bronze, so like it just didn't happen, so this was the easiest way to do it. Gold, silver, bronze. And then ranking is ranking them out of all Marvel movies, all 17 of them. Uh, where does this rank? Now, the rating isn't just compared to Marvel movies, it's compared to all superhero or action movies that fall in this kind of genre. Um, Glenn, what kind of rating, gold, silver, or bronze would you give this movie? I give this movie a gold. Of course, it's Avengers. Like, um, it's, it. uh, you know, this movie had it all, and it stayed true to the uh, solo films that came before it. Um, I think uh, the post-credit scenes from those movies or the ending scene to those movies were tied in very well, um, with the exception of Hulk, <laughs> uh, were tied in very well to this one. Um, and the egos weren't there. I mean, and if it was, it didn't get leaked out to anybody and you couldn't tell, um, with, with press junkets and everything else that these guys did. I mean, for Chris Evans to be able to send out a tweet or a text message to everybody that says a symbol and they actually all get together. That tells yeah. me that it was a, a cool set to be on and that oh, these yeah. guys are, th- these guys are friends. I mean, you, you look at the, the things that RDJ and Chris Evans have done since, they've been on this journey together and they've shown, you know, going to hospitals, they've showed up for make a wish. Uh, RDJ, uh, went to that little boy who was missing an arm and they had made him an Iron Man, uh, prosthetic. 
Um, which, you know, all this stuff, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome stuff that they do. And this movie hit on all cylinders. It was the first team up film, um, of this caliber that I think actually worked. And it didn't feel like somebody was out trying to do the other person. It was an evil, even playing field. Um, and nobody tried to outshine the other one. It, it was cohesive and very organic from, from everybody involved. Yeah. And for, Iron Man to be paid so much more than Captain America. They both had even screen time, and they really did split the screen time really well amongst the heroes. Uh, I rated it a gold. I loved the team up. Uh, for their first outing together, it had just enough story, more fleshing out of Black Widow, of course, and a great villain, as well as some of the funniest moments ever from a superhero movie to that date. It was such a change of pace from the Nolan Bats trilogy, which also finished that year, 2012, with uh, Rise of the... Uh, of the Dark Knight, which yeah. was panned by fans and critics alike, even though it made a billion bucks, it was just it was really a, a boring end to a franchise that kind of normalized or or made less fantastic of the superhero genre. And for this movie to really double down on fantastical, uh, it was great to see. And I'm glad they haven't slowed up yet. I'm glad we haven't returned to the drama paced superhero movies, and we've gotten really just good superhero movies like even winter soldier had way more action than batman ever did and that's the most drama paced of any of the marvel movies uh, so i'm just glad they kept this pace up um but glenn out of 17 marvel movies two fo- so far because you know that's how we have to rank them because black panther unfortunately got a crappy time for this podcast uh where would you rank this movie oh <sighs> Out of the 17, this is my number 10. Nice, okay. Cracks the top um, 10. Yeah, it cracks the top 10. Um, there are there were several movies for certain reasons that beat this one out, but for a massive ensemble flick like this and uh, just a fun movie that even though we've, you know, Ultron's been made, we're coming to, you know, we're on this road to Infinity War, you can still sit down and watch this movie and enjoy it. Even after watching this, re-watching this to get ready for the podcast, I picked up on stuff that I didn't realize any other time that I've watched it. Um, it's just something that it, it, you learn something more every time you watch this movie, and I love it. I, I don't think that, uh, honestly, unless it's a writing issue, I don't think that Disney or Marvel is going to put out a crappy Avengers flick. I, uh, I like that rank, uh, ranking. I, I actually, my ranking is a little bit higher. I ranked it six out of 17. Um, I just, I just love the fun of it. And really, there's not many movies that, that really top that, uh, that I guess just fun. Uh, but also it was, it was the first team up of all these, uh, superheroes. And it was really the, I'm not sure if we got another superhero moment with any of them where you didn't feel a lot of unrest. Like in Avengers, by that final fight, they were all teaming together. Whereas Avengers 2, which you know would come really close, uh, it felt like they were all split. Like they really didn't want to be working together. They just kind of had to. So that's where I rank Avengers over Avengers 2. Um, and really, there's there's just a short list that beats it. Obviously, only five movies. You know, Iron Man's my number five. And I've got uh, some personal favorites that, that top it. But, I mean, that's that's 
pretty high for a a movie that was focused more on the the showing of the team battling than the actual story of it all. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening to this week's Road to Infinity podcast. Of course, we have other podcasts that you can go listen to. We have a gaming podcast, a wrestling podcast. Um, we have reviews for wrestling uh, pay-per-views, as well as paper, uh, wrestling championships, um, gaming stuff. We have random reviews for movies on Netflix. It's called Chillin' with Netflix. Uh-huh. Uh, you can find us on social media, collectively at Take the Studios, anywhere on social media, and on YouTube.com slash Take the Studios for gaming videos that are to donate money to charity. You can find us individually on social media. I am at SYCO1316. I am at Joker ha 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 79 Please subscribe, please share, please rate, please yada yada yada. Do the little heart things. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next week. <laughs>